Join your hosts, Lisa and Ross, as they read Mary Shelley's classic novel. Bear witness to them, pulling apart the myth and exploring the events and the people behind the phenomenon. Welcome to Frankenstein Dissected. I'm Ross in Dorchester and welcome to episode zero of Frankenstein Dissected. Um, in this episode, we are read- we've read the preface and the letters from Frankenstein. Indeed we have. And we explore the life of Mary Shelley's mother, Mary Wollstonecraft. This is our first episode um, recording this. It's episode zero because, um, annoyingly, Frankenstein starts before chapter one. And I thought it would throw it all out of whack if we do ep- episode one about preference and then episode two is about chapter one and people just get all confused <laughs> well maybe we should um explain to the uh, listeners who we are and ho- how we know each other and why we're doing this i, I think a good place to start would be going to the frankenstein museum yeah, the, the, yeah well, so what where, where what was it called why why were we there okay so we went to i think it was called the house of frankenstein in bath because we actually had arranged to spend the day together and go to the House of Parliament. But there was a train strike and also the House of Parliament was shut, apparently, or they couldn't fit us in. So we decided to drive to Bath. And you had total free reign of recommending places to go to because had I not have been with you, there was no way I would have gone to the Frankenstein Museum. <laughs> but I'm really glad we did because it was absolutely brilliant. It was really interesting. I think one of the things which you said to me, I just want to carry on learning stuff. And when we first got in there, it was I thought it was going to be a bit more um, fun, but it was it was quite academic, wasn't it? And then then yeah. I thought actually, there's loads of stuff here about Frankenstein. I I I, I never knew. Yeah. And you, yeah, absolutely. And I didn't even know that Mary Shelley was um, sorry, Mary Wollstonecraft was Mary Shelley's mum. Oh, but you said you you learnt about her at university or or, or school, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, and I actually found the book. It's a, it's a shame we're not on video because I actually found my original copy of The Vindications of the Rights of Women by Mary Shelley. Sorry, mm. Mary Wollstonecraft. Even <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's difficult that they both got they're both called Mary and 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 she actually yeah. um, used some other's um, maiden name as well. Um, yeah. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the middle name. Yeah, so it's going to get confusing anyway. But yeah, um, I've been doing podcasts for God. I would say how uh, old am I? About twenty years, maybe. Um, I've currently got um, two podcasts, which are sort of horror adjacent. One's called General Witchfinders, which is about British horror, and I got one called Dark Darset, which is all about spooky things which happen in Dorset. And um, me and Lisa have talked about doing a podcast for a while. Lisa is a, a very good friend of mine. How long have we known each other, Lisa? 2009? 2009, something like that. So that's 12 years. Oh, no, 13 years. 14 years. 14 years. Can't do my math. <laughs> yeah. I think we, we've, everyone's lost a year or two, haven't they, over the lockdown. I felt, felt that when we went around this exhibi- exhibition, which was just, it just basically went through all of the people in Mary Shirley's life, all the things that happened to her, all the impacts Frankenstein's have had, Frankenstein has had on culture. And I thought, this is, this is brilliant. There's so much stuff here for us to learn. And also, I've never read Frankenstein. Have you read Frankenstein before, Lisa? No, never. And, and actually, sorry, I know we're going into general chat here, but 
microphone looks like because of how many times it's been portrayed or he's been portrayed. So yes. I, I feel quite uh, envious of the people who read it for the first time without all of the uh, Frankenstein paraphernalia that exists now. I've read Dracula God knows how many times when I was a goffy teenager. Uh, I, I think I even read it in a graveyard for a bit as well, just to, for the ultimate goth experience. But I've no never been, uh, yeah. <laughs> I've never read Frankenstein, and I think I've tried and got put off by the language because it's it's obviously um, older than uh, Dracula. It's 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 quite an early novel. But I thought, you know, it's it's a classic. You know, there's so much. I've only ever seen film versions of it, and I know. All of those have been adaptations of a certain... So I wanted to go back to the actual source. I thought this would be a really good excuse for us to do it. I also think that... Um, I always think that Frankenstein was portrayed as really quite naff in the mm-hmm. original horror films. And mm-hmm. actually, that didn't really make me want to read it. Mm-hmm. But having gone to the exhibition and actually reading more about, you know, Mary Shelley and, like, the people that she hung around with, um, it seems to be quite a historically important novel and the people around her yeah and her family she it's almost like she's like the center of this web of all all the important people and important things that happened around that time and it's just yeah and it's almost like you know a lot of the posters that are in that museum they Mm. just make frankenstein look really almost like comical yeah as you say, her world was very intellectual, very sort of political, very like a real brain box community, wasn't it? Not silly hammer horror films of. But it's strange you know, how from that all the way up to like um, kids, you know, the, the, the cartoon sort of drawing based on like the Universal um, horror boris karloff makeup and stuff. Yeah, you know, it, it's just it's become like a joke and also something yeah. which. It's so far removed from what the original what the original thing was. It's almost non-existent. It's, yeah. it's so bizarre, isn't it? Sorry, I'm, just, I'm really looking forward to reading it. I'm really mm-hmm. looking forward, and I'm, I'm sort of I'm in, I'm committed already. I'm, I'm, I'm been sucked sucked into the like. I think the language is really beautiful, and it's really nice to read as such a a well written book so far. Only done two chapters or the letters, but yeah, I, I would say um, if you've got this far. The sound quality will get better. We had a couple of technical bit difficulties tonight, but we thought we're going to just push it, push ahead, um, and we will we will get this sorted. But um, yeah, we thought well, we've got the momentum now. We might as well uh, get going. At least I sound good, um, and that's the important thing because I, I know the people <laughs> are just here for me. <laughs> so so we're going to do um, effectively a chapter per episode. Um, and like I said, there is a bit of the beginning, which why, this is why this is episode zero. Um, so I think we, we, we'll go into that and then we'll talk about um, the second topic. So first off, there's the preface, which um, I read that they reckon that this was written by um, Percy Shelley, who was uh, Mary Shelley's um, husband at the time. What, did you, what, what are your thoughts on, on the preface? Because I felt like when I started reading this, I was like, oh, fuck, you know, this is, this is, I'm not going to enjoy this because it is very, I found it was quite over the top and quite florid with its language. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Um and then I sort of read it a few times to, to try and really sort of understand it. And mm. there are a couple of things that struck me. First of all, why the hell did her husband write it? This woman is like born from a like a, a, a feminist mother who basically yeah. started feminism in the UK. Yeah. And she hands it over, like the introductory word. 
to her novel, she hands over to her husband. So first of all, I say, come on, Mary, where's your girl power? <laughs> yeah, it's um, very strange, isn't it? It's almost like he's apologising for a lot of the things in the book, isn't it? It's like, um, as you're yeah. reading it, it's like all this, all the stuff we talk about in here, you know, it's based on, on fact, but it's gone off a little, on a bit of a tangent and, you know, don't get yeah. upset about that. And it's almost like full of disclaimers, like, um, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry about this. Um, so, quite a normal I think that's quite a common thing to do isn't it almost like people cooking a dinner at a mm. dinner party and going oh the roast potatoes aren't as good as they should be or, or it's almost like you know yeah. protecting yourself against criticism maybe it's crazy. But, um, well, apparently um, at that point atheism was a an actual crime you could be prosecuted for yeah. being an atheist and there's um on in the notes I read that they said that some of this is actually um almost a disclaimer about potentially this being read as a, as a, a, an atheist what the ca- the characters in this book believe things which we don't i don't believe the writer doesn't believe the things that, and it's trying to it's all i think because the novel was still quite a new thing it's yeah. almost like um people now have a go at soap stars because they can't uh get this connection between the character and the the actors to portray it i think at this point people couldn't detach like the thoughts and opinions of the writer from the actions and the thoughts of the characters in the novel and, it, and it's it's very strange but maybe it was just a case of we don't want to get prosecuted for, for writing some of this stuff yeah and, and also i think there are, there are a couple of other things that sort of struck me um yeah so there's there a really interesting um quote that i want to take from the preface and she says even though it's her husband talking it was it was sorry it was commenced partly as a source of amusement and partly as an expedient for exercising any untried resources of mind. Now, the thing that struck me is like, you know, if you go on a holiday with your mates, which is essentially what they did, the fact that she, she almost like underplays it. Oh, you know, it was a source of amusement. Can you imagine going away with your mates and going, oh, okay, I'm just off to write a novel that's going to be one of the most <laughs> <laughs> influential you know, pieces of famous, writing yeah most influential novels in the world you know in in sort of literature i quite like that but also the fact that it, it does highlight the extent of her intelligence as well like this is a woman and obviously that's unquestionable but you know it made me sort of sit back and go oh my god she was on holiday with all these, you know, very sort of highbrow people. And of course, if the sun wasn't shining and they got a bit bored, they're going to need to be mentally stimulated. But I just thought, what an amazing gift to have, to be able to trot off and write Frankenstein. <laughs> and the other thing which I thought was interesting, when you realise that it was written by, Shelley, um, by Percy Shelley, but he says at one point, there was other people who, who wrote um, stories on, on this holiday, which he's referring to himself. Which were much better than this, but we we but they they lost it. So you just have to put up there. So basically, he said I wrote something as well, and it was better than this. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's incredible. The world of misogyny <laughs> is uh, was rife there, and it's still rife now. But yeah, yeah so yeah. there we go. So yeah. then we we go into the the first the first part, which is just a collection of letters, which is was quite a popular um, a popular form of. Uh, telling stories at that at that point. What do, what were your thoughts on the letters, um, Lisa? The letters, yeah. So, oh, so sorry, I've forgotten his name, Robert. Yes, Robert, Robert, Robert Walton. Now, the letters. Okay, I'm going to say a 
general thing about Robert Walton. He's very incon- he's very inconsistent, isn't he? How he signs his letters off. Yeah, like, to his, to why, his sister. <laughs> yeah, and also, why the hell is he writing to his sister? Why is he writing to his mate? <laughs> well, he basically says he hasn't got any friends. That's his no, main know. complaint, isn't it? Yeah, I think- yeah, I know. He hasn't got any friends. So, so yeah, he's, he's very sort excited. He's on this journey to the North Pole. Um, and there's lots of sort of enthusiasm about discovering. I think he's a bit of a high achiever. I think he's, you know, he's driven to do something that nobody else has done. Mm. Um, you know, it's obviously a very tricky expedition. He's putting himself out there. I think he's only been able to do that because wasn't his father against him being a seafaring person? And then yeah. he, he um, inherited some money from his uncle and then sort of said, you know, up yours, I'm going sailing, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> I think it, he... Um, He's quite insecure about his education, and he's he's, he's yeah. saying how he's he's self taught. And one of the things, and I think it was he had access to a library, and that's something which yeah. um, happened to uh, Mary uh, Walton's craft, which we we can talk about later. But he had access to a library and taught himself. But one of the things which yeah. he read was stories of adventure, and that sort of made him want to go off on this great adventure. And I thought it's very it starts off very naive. Yeah, idealistic, and I think that's something we're going to see mirrored later on with Victor Frankenstein about like where you start off on something you thinking this is just going to be fun and exciting. I think also when I was reading this, this is sort of like probably sort towards the end of when the world wasn't fully explored and Mm -hmm. people could still just have this excitement about like I can go somewhere which no one's ever been before and no one knows what's there and. There could be a way that we can get, um, because I think he's trying to find a uh, a, a shortcut for, for ships to go through the Antarctic, the Arctic, or the Antarctic. Arctic. The yeah, yeah. Um, so that it would save a load of time, and that therefore that would make a load. But, but they don't even know if it exists. You know, we haven't got satellite photographs or anything. You just have to go there and and, and see. And it's just, I think that's again an interesting thing that you can read a book from. It's not like this isn't a historical lot. Um, novel this at that point these things people people didn't know this stuff and and there, there was still that sense yeah. of excitement and adventure in, in the world yeah yeah but also the basicness of traveling as well like you know as i say if you draw um parallels with what's going on today would the equivalent of going to the moon be an equivalent to you know richard bolton's journey i don't know but, yeah, but, but, but yeah. I, was read, I was looking at the, the gaps between the letters. There's a three month gap between the first one, yeah. a five yeah, month yeah. gap between the next one, and and so yeah. on. So you know, he's he's gone for a long. Time. And I was thinking all the time I was reading this, like how how are these letters getting home? I how know he, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but later on, he said that he, he he's given it to like um, I think what happens they meet other sailors who might be heading back to England, mm. and they say let's give them a bit of money. He said, could you get this back to my my sister? And at one point you said, you know, I might get back from this expedition by the time this letter gets to you because yeah. you, know, you might be yeah, giving yeah. it to someone who's going around the world or something. And also it occurred to me that he, he's writing these letters, but there's no way she's ever going to be able to reply to him. Hi. 
Hi, it's Ross from the General Witchfinders. Did you know that I also do another podcast with my friend David? Hello. Well, I had phones before that. You're not taking this seriously, Ross. David and I do our own supernatural research and investigations in our home county of Dorset. So, if you think that's up your street, why don't you give it a listen? It's Dark Darset, D-A-R-Z-E-T. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. It's not that. It's something which you get a lot in um, bad films of exposition when someone is telling someone who knows this stuff. Like he's talking to his sister as if uh, and telling her about stuff which she would know because they grew up together. And as you say, that letter where he's like, you know, clearly the sister is feeling a little bit melancholy. He's been out in the cold for a while, and he's like, oh, I, I really do need to share share all this with somebody. Mm. And that feeling of loneliness and wanting a friend, and mm. yeah, it's, it's quite a sort of contrast to the initial letter full of excitement and very yeah. descriptive language about what he's hoping. It goes off on one for a bit when he starts talking about some guy on the boat who saved yeah. up. And this is something which often annoys me in a novel when I feel like, oh, this person didn't have enough words to fill it up. So they, they it's like they tell a story of someone telling a story of telling a story, and then you get. <laughs> So you end up going through these letters, and I'm going, hang on, who's what's happening now? But he ends up telling this this story about someone who was on the boat who saved up all his money in order to, I think he called it like a, a enough prize money in order to get this wife. So again, this is an era where women were possessions, and mm-hmm. it's basically you would effectively go to someone's uh, a woman's father and said, here's the money, can can, can this woman now come and, and be my possession, and I can mm-hmm. I can you know. She can she can work for me for for nothing and basically have my children. Um, uh, but then the story was that she uh, he says yes, but then the woman says, "Oh, please don't marry me because I'm actually in love with someone else." And then this guy is um he's just really nice about it. He said, "Okay, well I'll give you the money anyway, but you can still you can love by marry the man you love." But the father doesn't want that, so he ends up running away to sea to get away from, to, out of the, because he's kind of stuck in this marriage contract. But I was thinking, where, where, why, why is this in? This, why is this in here? This is a couple of hundred words, which I didn't really need to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I think, it, I think what it's, I think that's just, I think that's about humanity, and I think it's about um, showing, like you know, really highlighting empathy and human feelings, and is that maybe a precursor to Frankenstein, this sort of monster that's created? not having the same sentiments or empathy as a human being. I don't know. I think maybe they're pulling it out, that story out, to show the, the kindness of human beings. I don't know. But, yeah, I agree with you. What a loser doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so the, 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 me and Lisa have both got the same edition of the book, which is the Oxford World's Classic. And I would say a third of the book is the, um, the uh, introduction, which I've only got halfway through at the moment because it, it's – very in-depth but one of the things they're talking about is what do we call the, the creature traditionally i think it, i've always referred to it as the monster as frankenstein's monster and then i think it started becoming vogue to call it the creature and mm-hmm. in here he's suggesting that we should be calling it the being but i, th- okay. I don't know I, what, I think we should maybe just should we just call it the monster or do you want to call it I, the think, creature? I, I think we call it whatever we want to yeah. call it Okay, I'm going to say the monster because that's what I grew up calling it. Maybe that's maybe we should say right here now. Okay, we're going to call it this, mm-hmm. and let's review whether we would call it that at the end of it as okay. a novel. 
So we may change. We may, we may actually change our opinions. But yeah, because I think we yeah. woke up with the preconceptions of, of seeing it basically in film because we never read it. So I'm going to stick with monster to start off with and then we'll see okay. how, how we feel. So we get the first sight of the monster and this is quite exciting. Um, because essentially I think that the, the ship is stuck in the ice and they see what they, uh, they can, they can see as like a giant person on a sledge being pulled along by um, a load of dogs. And they're basically saying no human beings could be out this far North. Yeah and survive yeah, yeah. but they just see this thing in the distance and i thought that well, that was quite exciting and again like you said if you if you was reading this completely um blind it's it's full of kind of like a little bit that's a little bit of a teaser it's like a bit of a yeah, it's a bit really, of yeah it's really... what's going on yeah yeah yeah. the next day he wake the uh this the, the, this this chap i've forgotten his name i'm really bad with names Walton oh. wakes up and he hears the people on the ship talking to someone off off the side of the boat, which, mm-hmm. and and they then that's where they find Victor Frankenstein, who's like all emaciated. Um, he's on like a a, a wrecked sledge with only one surviving half dead dog. But can I just say, right? How is he alive? How is he alive in those conditions? That that sort of I had to suspend belief. There. I think it's 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 this last point, but then. He won't come on the boat until he finds out where they're going. He wants to make sure they're still going north, not going back, because he's yeah. driven. He's driven to go somewhere. Yeah. So that's when they get on on board, and then um, uh, Walton starts to get almost like get like a bit of a bromance sort of crush yeah. on him, doesn't he? I'm glad. Did you pick up on that as well? Yeah. yeah. My affection for my guest increases every day, but all but is that a Interpret is that us putting a sort of salacious slant on it, or is that just because he's writing or it's being written in that very romantic way, you know, as in romantic with a big R? Because that was sure. the style of a style of writing. I don't know because he's he's almost pining for some some kind of companionship. You know, yeah. we've worked out that he's been on this boat for you know over a year. You know, he's gonna be he's gonna be horny, isn't he? I think yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was going to raise the question: you know, homosexuality on those that you know on those boats must have been right. And it's, it leaves it to the skinny lads. So when the, the half-starved German gets pulled on board, he goes, "Here we go, boys." Because he won't I let any. Of the... Cut that. <laughs> <laughs> he won't let any of the um, other sailors near him, will he? Um... No, I know it's really selective, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's he starts sort of um, nursing him back to health. Yeah. And there's one bit they they rub his body with brandy. I thought that was a bit sexy as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he's quite a care. So like Walton's like um, demonstrating that he's like really caring and nurturing. So you know, is that the he's almost like nurturing um, Victor Frankenstein in the way that Victor Frankenstein has nurtured. The creature or the monster. Victor then, um, I don't know if he's actually revealed what his name is, so I think we're we're jumping to the conclusion conclusion that it is Victor. um, So he starts talking about the the demon, and it's a weird spelling of demon, D-A-E-D-A-M-O-N, which um, I always wondered what that actually meant. What's the difference between a demon and a demon? And in the notes it says here that she specifically used that word because... Here we go. Shelley 
deliberately spells the word in this way from the earliest from the earliest draft of the book. It's got a mixture of meanings. It means an evil, malevolent spirit and uh, a supernatural figure of intent which could haunt and terrorise their human host. They said that that's a very deliberate um, spelling of that word because it would have been unusual to use it at that time, which I thought that was quite interesting. Mm-hmm. So essentially he's saying that he's, uh, he's chasing this 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 thing he doesn't explain what it is but he's 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 chasing it and he's trying to trying to get, yeah. get after it and then what happens at the end of the because i i've just written down here what a star exclamation point it's basically saying he's about to introduce the story so at the end of that last letter he uh, victor frankenstein we don't know that that's victor frankenstein but this guy is about to start telling richard walton what has happened yeah, how they got the to that point story yeah so yeah so it's a, as you said it's a story and a story and a story yeah. but i felt for like a opening of a book almost you know like the the pre-credits you can imagine if this was a film this would all happen before yeah. you get the crash frankenstein up on the screen you know of of i think it's really exciting sort of beginning yeah. and full of intrigue and if you didn't know what the hell was going on just the idea that you find a man near the North Pole who is chasing this giant mm-hmm. figure who is just like, and he's going to say like, how how did he get here and what's going on? I think very exciting. And like I said, when I first started from the preference, I was like, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to deal with the language. Yeah. But when I, I just rattled through this and I was quite upset yeah. that I'm going to have to wait a month to read the next chapter. So I think it, it really got me. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I think by the time I got to the end of that last letter, I was like, yes, I want to know more now. And I'm actually wondering whether um, anybody has actually done a really beautiful presentation of the book as a film, mm. like Drac- you know, like Dracula was done. You know, because I haven't, I'm going to admit I haven't watched many Frankenstein movies, but have any of them actually started in the way that you just talked about it? You know, I can imagine that you're saying very dramatic sort of landscape of this monster or this suggestion of a monster coming out on the ice. And that's really sort of like, wow, yeah, I'm I'm in it now. The only one I can think of was um, the, 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 when they did the version of Dracula with Gary Oldman and Keanu Reeves and um, Winona Ryder, yeah. Bram Stoker's Dracula, directed by Francis yeah. Coppola, which is one of my favourite films of all time. They, they, there was a follow-up to that where they did Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and it was um, starred and I believe directed by Kenneth Branagh, who was um, Frank. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I believe that started. That was uh, at that point the most faithful version of the um right. of the thing. I've got it on our list, so that's one of the films we're going to watch, Lisa. As I, um, so we can watch that a, a little further on to see how we got on. That was almost, that was almost like seamless, that wasn't it? We haven't even like practiced that. <laughs> cool. So that's that's. So the next episode, we will be going into chapter one, and we um, listeners, you can follow along with us and find out. Can I just add something? Can I add something which I thought was quite interesting that I learned? Um, why it was called the modern Prometheus? Yes, go for it. So, um, so apparently, because um, I was like, oh, Prometheus, I've watched that film, um, but I don't know what who Prometheus was. So I thought, right, I better, you know, is this thirst for knowledge? So apparently Prometheus, he defies the gods and um, he stole fire from the gods and he gave it to humanity, but it was in the form of technology, knowledge, and generally 
and general civilization. So, you know, Victor Frankenstein is the modern Prometheus because he was giving, you know, that sort of technology of building this person. And it's basically he stole he stole the spark of life. That's fine. No, because I'm also I read about that yeah. as well, and they're saying. Uh, part of the punishment he got um, for stealing a fire from the gods, or stealing the um, the spark of life, or the ability to make uh, to have life, was that I think he was eternally um, having his liver pecked out by a crow. So I think what ah, what they're trying to nice. say is, uh, from my understanding, is that this person did something which he wasn't meant to do. He created life, and then for that he was punished for the rest of his life for doing it. And I think that's kind of like the, the modern retelling mm. of that. You know, some things, some things aren't meant to be uh, played with by humans because otherwise you're going to be, yeah. you're going to pay the price. But I think we're, you know, hopefully we will find that as we go along. Yes, exciting. What we're trying to go to try and do is as well as talk about the story, we're going to talk about some of the things which influence the stories or some some of the uh, things which were influenced by the story. Um, but we're going to start off with uh, Mary Walson's... Uh, Mary... Mary Walsoncraft. Walsoncraft. Mary... I cannot say that bloody name. Uh, so, it's, so it's like Walston. Wal- she Walston. Walstoncraft. 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 <laughs> so this is someone... Okay... <laughs> I think we should have a disclaimer on all of the stuff that neither of us are experts in much and definitely not experts in any of the stuff we're talking about on this podcast. So it, I can just say, actually, most things that you listen to, you know, over-intellectualized this, like over we're not, we're not here to provide sort of revision notes for people studying this. This is a, a, a general conversation about a book. <laughs> it's about stuff we've learned rather than us trying to teach you shit. So that's, that's yeah, what we should be absolutely. talking about. So I've got to admit, I had I had never heard of this person before. Um, we went to uh to Bath, and you pointed out and said how how important this person was to the feminist movement, and it made me feel guilty. Which anything to do with feminism makes me feel guilty. And the more I learn, and you know, I think one of the things I would say is being a man, and and I'm forty five. I've always thought that everything was just fair. And it was all, and we'd gone through the um, the sexual revolution. And everything was okay, but you know, all the time, I'm just constantly learning how shit it is to be to be a woman. And I just want to say sorry, but you know, I think the only way you can you can try and make things better is by learning stuff. But um, yeah, and the more I learn, the more more sh- I think. Oh, actually, it's really really shit. So yeah, that's just my little disclaimer because um, I found this really interesting, and I I was chewing my wife's ear off at, um, on our Valentine's dinner. I was just basically just telling her all about Mary Watergraff and, and all the things she was pointing out, which was wrong. Was, and she's just like, just nod on her head again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, I mean, the thing is, at, at, the, at the time, you know, 1792 was when of the Rights of Women was published. That is, you know, an amazing, yeah. I mean, historically, to like to be that sort of woman in that period of time, would have taken incredible guts and energy and passion and commitment to the cause. So, so yeah, I think yeah, she was quite an incredible lady. Yeah. So, what was happening at the around that time was um, they've had the the American Revolution, 
and then France were it was all kicking off in France and one of the things which um uh, a lot of people were uh, particularly in the the circles Mary Wolfenscraft was in were excited about saying this is the opportunity for us to tear down all of the all of the things which kind of the traditions of of the hierarchy of the aristocracy and the things which are saying you know with class where these people need to are better than these people and this is how things should be this is a way of getting rid of all that tradition and starting a whole new order and that and they were um this is my understanding they were saying that human beings are basically a to to a certain extent a a blank sheet when they're born and everything they think and the way they behave is based on how you educate them and how and their experiences of the world and the problem we got is that if the system's broke you're constantly just creating broken people and this is an opportunity to wipe all that out and, and start again and make better people by making a better society based on reason and all that kind of stuff and a lot of people are saying oh, that's great um but may watercraft points out but what about women you know just saying mm-hmm. all of this stuff you're, you're saying everything should be changed and we should be doing everything better but you're not saying anything about how women are treated or how women live their life and and one of the things she was saying is that it's a complete waste of half of the um, population if all you say is important for them is for them to sit around looking pretty and I'm worried about your singing, singing. I'm yeah. worrying about yeah. sewing and things like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah and I, I thought it was quite interesting that she um so she tried to commit suicide she tried to um she attempted suicide by throwing herself well trying to throw herself off Putney Bridge but it was stopped um because she was rejected by I think it was an artist easily I don't know I might need to look into that she got all very excited about going to France to be part of the revolution and then realized that everyone at the revolution was, was just killing everyone and it was like oh hang on it's just you just replaced one corrupt system with another corrupt system and then, but she fell in love with this guy called Inlay Imlay. He was an American, and um, he got her pregnant. He kind of illegally married her, but not really married her. Um, and then he kind of uh, he just he, he just disappeared, and um, and said, "I'll meet you in I'll meet, meet you in England." And then when she got to England, he wasn't there, so she tried to tried to kill herself. Yeah, yeah, which is very sad. Sorry, Nisa, I've, I've I've talked all over you and just come across as a complete misogynist. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Really happened to no. I'm mansplaining you. But, um, but she, um, but she did go to France and was very much involved in the revolution and, you know, how the revolution was actually questioning monarchy and the authority and she was very supportive of the revolution. Yes. And again, how amazing to be a woman in that period of time to do something like that. And you think about how difficult it was to travel like just generally travel in that period of time yeah. getting around you know it wasn't an easy thing was it? it's not like you hopped on a plane and went right i'll be in paris in three hours yeah. from london you know it was a really arduous journey yeah and she was writing a um almost like a history of the uh, revolution while she's there so she was basically yeah. like like a reporter out there even though she was a uh, radical for someone living in in England, when she was in France, she wasn't radical enough. So some she she could have been um, if they found out who she was 
And if they uh, and link that back to what she was writing, she could have been someone who would have been chucked into the Bastille and potentially sent to the guillotine herself. So this was someone who was mm. right in the center of it all, basically. And and she given and she gave birth there as well. Um, and uh, yeah. I think they had a, a really really awful winter, so there was no food there as well. So she was like in stuck there with a a, a um, an infant child in the middle of a revolution where people are getting uh, arrested and killed left, right, and center. Uh, and basically starving as well. It's just, it's just, a, it's mental. It's just a crazy life that this, she won. Mm. And one of the things we sh- we should have said as well is that her, her father inherited a lot of money, but then he was a drunk and um, he wasn't very good with that money, so he lost. Yeah, and he used to beat beat his her mother, so uh, Mary Shelley's grandmother. And uh, there's stories that she used to sleep in front of her mother's door to stop her father getting in there to to abuse her mother. So she didn't have a very good male role models. Um, And then her male um, siblings were sent to be educated where she got sent to one of these schools where, like you said, they learn to sing and speak French and that's it. Mm. And And then she realised that she wasn't going to inherit anything either. Any inheritance would go to any male children and essentially she would get Mm -hmm. get nothing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's shocking. Absolutely shocking. So, so yeah. Um, I I think there was a suggestion of her wanting a menage a trois. Yes, with, that was it. That um, was yeah. That was with the the artist he was talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was quite um, what's the word? Experimental, sexually as well. So like she was like a real, you know, what's the word? She was just a very incredible woman. I don't know why I'm saying for that period in time because why should she not have those, you know, why should she not be intellectual and why should she not be committed to a cause and why should she have, you know, um, I don't know, bisexual tendencies? Why should that be set in a period of time is what I'm trying to say. It shouldn't be. It was just so not what was done. And it's someone who, and she, she managed to push through these things so she also uh, she was had a very um, very close friend who had the hilarious name of Fanny Blood who was one of her childhood um, yes. friends <laughs> who um, she basically just said well we don't need men we just live together and they she that was her ideal she wanted to do that um, she said no I could get a job and you could get a job and we can just li- live together and that was you know unheard of for people particularly in their sort of social strata. But unfortunately, Fanny went and got married and left her, and I think that kind of broke her heart a little bit. And I think, yeah, they cut it from what I was seeing. She didn't really get into a proper relationship until she was in her thirties. After that point, and she even called her first um, um, daughter, which she had a legitimacy with um, the American Igme Imlay. Imlay, yeah, she named yes, she named that that first baby Fanny after her sort of. Yeah, the, the the woman. I think she initially fell for it's, some of the things I was listening to. They were saying we shouldn't be looking at it as um, a kind of like sexual relationship, but I don't know. They, I I don't know. It, I think it's really hard not to look at through it through sort of modern eyes, isn't it? And start and put on like what those relationships were actually like. Oh, that's interesting. You said through modern eyes. Why should it be through modern eyes? You know, it's always been there, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. So. It's just that we talk about it in a much more open, open way. way. Yeah. 
she was the first woman ever to be taken on as a ret- uh, with a retainer as from a publisher. She was the first person to ever got like a uh, um, an ongoing salary for writing, um, but she wasn't allowed to write under a female name. She had to put um, uh, it had to be done with initials, so no one could find out that it was a woman who was basically writing lots of reviews. So again, trail blazing, but also a bit a bit bad that she had to not hide the fact that she was a woman. Imlay, this is the uh, the, the guy who to kind of semi married her and uh, gave her an illegitimate child. But part of the French Revolution, no one was allowed to have luxury items. So what was happening was a lot of these luxury items were being taken out of France. So Imlay had got a load of silver, and in order to bypass the British blockade, he put it all on a um, on a ship to uh, Scandinavia. But the person stole it so he sent uh, mary shelley's um mum may wolfenstone with with the um newly born baby fanny off to try and get this money back for him even though he was acting like a complete prick and having affairs left right and center she did it anyway part of that was her traveling through scandinavia and then she started writing letters uh, back and publishing them, and they ended up becoming like a uh, like a, a book of her journey through Scandinavia and her talking about the amazing sort of scenery because people didn't travel those days. The so travelogues were very very um, popular, and that kind of hearing about that made me think about the, the opening chapters of this book of this guy mm-hmm. um, sending letters home about his journey through like the frozen wastelands and all that kind of stuff. And I imagine Mary Shelley would have read her mother's works and i wonder if this was a some of those were an influence to this oh massively yeah yeah and also the sort of romantic poets that she hung around with as well you know and all of the works that she would have read oh, sorry william william goodwin basically fell in love with her by reading these letters although he'd met her before at a party and she'd been annoyed annoying and, and they had a big argument essentially when she got back unsuccessfully get, tr- getting the silver back for him late and then finally parting ways she ended up getting together with william goodwin who is a someone who we will cover in another episode um, yeah. but they, that, yeah, yeah. that became you know her, their, her big love of her life and that they had an interesting relationship so he didn't believe in marriage but they married anyway because i think he she was pregnant with mary shelley at the time so in order to cover up any scandal they got married um, I think they lived in separate homes, even though they were married. But unfortunately, when Mary Shelley was born... Wollstonecraft. Well, Mary Wollstonecraft. Was, was that right? Goodwin Stone? Yeah, I think I've said Goodwin Stone a couple of times. So unfortunately, when Mary um, Shelley was born, Mary Wolfens... Oh, you know, maybe if you... I don't know. Wall. Wall, wall, wall on the stone... Crafted. Well, you you say the bit about her dying after Mary Shelley was born. Oh well, I, um, I don't really know that. I don't don't, don't know it in great detail. But um, she was thirty eight when she gave birth to Mary Shelley, which is 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 quite old, really, isn't it? That's like quite yeah, that's quite old. Um, considering that Mary yeah. Shelley married, didn't she get a runaway with Shelley when she was sixteen? So sorry, I'm comparing the two women. But um, yeah, so Mary Wollstonecraft died when she was 38. She did she she contracts not a disease, uh, but after she gave birth to Mary Shelley, was it about a month after the birth that she died? 
she contracted something. No. So, so yeah. yeah. So that's very sad. Um, and then um, her husband, apparently he was incredibly uh, full of grief over this. And one of the things he did to memorialize mm-hmm. his, his dead wife was write a uh, a memoir and and also publish some of her um possibly publish some of her writings and one of the things that his philosophy is he believed in the ab- telling the absolute truth so essentially outed her as having at least one uh, well the first child being illegitimate outed her uh, with some of her kind of more unacceptable uh, ideas about sex outside of marriage and uh, and all that kind of stuff and essentially there was a huge backlash against her and she all of the all of the um good reputation she had at that point was completely destroyed and um she was forgotten about until many years later when she was rediscovered mm-hmm. as yeah. uh, a, a a major feminist writer uh, high high five to Mary Wollstonecraft doesn't matter what happens with reading frankenstein just the story of her life you know this that yeah. needs to be like um a a HBO TV series. It's just someone who just did uh-huh. so much, Incredible. achieved so much, and didn't even get to forty. It just it blows your yeah. mind. We didn't go through yeah, all yeah. of the famous people she she met and influenced and argued with, and uh, it's just it's mental. It's just some people just live such lives, don't they? But also, like Mary Shelley, you know her childhood and who she sort of rubbed shoulders with. You know, Shelley, Coleridge, Erasmus Darwin, you know. Can you imagine, like, being 10 and being surrounded by those people? I mean, I don't know what you were doing at 10, but I was probably playing on my bike or, you know, going fishing with my granddad. But I wasn't, you know, (laughs) having intellectual conversations with people like Erasmus Darwin. I mean, how, how amazing to be exposed to those sorts of conversations and ideas. So no wonder... You know, she was such a an intellectual power, and clearly took after her mother. But I'm still annoyed. I'm still annoyed about the fact that she handed over the intro and the preface to her husband. <laughs> Fantastic. Definitely find out more about this. Um, about her. I uh, can't remember her fucking name. <laughs> Definitely, definitely find out more about Mary Wolfenscraft. Definitely find out more about Mary Wolfenscraft. Wolfstonecraft. <laughs> Definitely find out more about Mary Wolfstonecraft. There, Look at it. Look, I write it down. Write it down as I read I, it. I'm fucking reading it <laughs> off of the screen. I can't get it right. <laughs> There's a really good um, uh, In Our Time episode um, I, on BBC Sounds with uh, Melvin Bragg. That's really good. There's a, a really good, there's a comedy history um, podcast, uh, which is called... Again, it's a beauty one called You're Dead to Me. There's a really good episode about her on there as well. I love those. Yeah. Brilliant. I'm glad I found out about her. And again, it, it just just it just blows my mind what life some people live. You know, I think, what's, who's the most famous person you've ever met, um, Lisa? Oh my gosh. The most famous person I've ever met? Uh, Goldie. No. <laughs> <laughs> whose picture have you got up in your, in your dining room? Yeah, Tracy Emin. Yeah, I wouldn't say. Yeah, I think I. You wouldn't say she's the most famous person you met? Yeah, quite probably. Yeah, what about you? Tom Baker, Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did you get um, get bigger star? I got. Were you starstruck? I was was incredibly, 
scared. I, I was shaking, and he gave me a jelly baby, so I was very pleased with that. <laughs> so I don't think there's, I don't think there's a great um, world changing novel in me just from that encounter, unfortunately. But um, who knows? So that's that's our first episode of the can. Um, hopefully, I can ed- edit that together, and it will sound amazing. Um, you will join us next time when we read chapter one. We start to find out how Victor ended up in the waste of the Arctic. In the North Pole. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Until next time. Happy day. Say goodbye, Lisa. Bye. See you next time. Bye. Until next time.